Pet Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, we are right in the middle of our 100 days of giving leading up to our 100th anniversary. And what we are doing is giving away $100 to a listener every single day and $100 to a charity of their choice. Our latest winner is Gloria Kaufman from Fountain Hills, and she chose as her charity the Arizona Helping Hands. So she gets 100 bucks, and so does her charity. If you would love to be a part of this, it's really simple. Just text the number 100 to 411923. That's 100 to 411923 help us celebrate our 100th year here at KTAR news um the president spoke this morning, and before I get to that, um, the reason why the context of what he did and didn't say matters, because this morning, the president of Ukraine addressed the United States Congress. President Zelensky was asking for, this is how he ended the message, was asking for a no-fly zone. Is there a lot to ask for to create a no-fly zone, zone over Ukraine to save people? Is this too much to ask? Humanitarian no-fly zone, something that Ukraine, uh, that Russia would not be able to terrorize our free cities. So you hear the, the through the through his interpreter, the president of Ukraine imploring with the United States Congress to please give us a no fly zone. Our president did not address that specifically. Now, there are a lot of things that America is doing, and we are beefing up, uh, giving them the ability to defend themselves, and that the president's message was of giving the Ukrainian people the opportunity to defend themselves. And I don't under I don't know the answer to what I'm about to say, but it is a question I think all Americans would ask is what is the difference? When you hear what this package includes, and I want you to hear that now, there's two different things the president talked about. One is about anti-aircraft capability. The other is about anti-armor capability and other armament. And here's what he said about those. This new package on its own is going to provide unprecedented assistance to Ukraine. It includes 800 anti-aircraft systems to make sure the Ukrainian military can continue to can continue to stop the planes and helicopters that have been attacking their people and to defend their Ukrainian airspace. And at the request of President Zelensky, we have identified and are helping Ukraine acquire additional longer range anti-aircraft systems and the munitions for those systems. So even longer range, they're helping to acquire those as well. And now when it comes to the anti-armor. 9,000 anti-armor systems. These are portable, high-accuracy shoulder-mounted missiles that Ukrainian forces have been using with great effect to destroy invading tanks and armored vehicles. It will include 7,000 small arms, machine guns, shotguns, grenade launchers to equip the Ukrainians, including the brave women and men who are defending their cities as civilians and they're on the countryside as well. And it will also, when we continue to give about 20 million rounds of ammunition as well. So here's my question. What is the difference between that and giving them airplanes? Senator Mark Kelly was on with Arizona's Morning News and asked a question about their capabilities, saying that with the number of aircraft they have, the MiGs they have now, that he would be expecting that they would be flying over uh, 30 sorties a day or missions a day, and they're only flying about five. 
Is it their capability to keep the aircraft running with maintenance and the spare parts they need? Is it a lack of having the ability, to, having the the missiles to arm those airplanes? And he didn't have an answer. He was asking that question out loud. And so why would we not give them jets? If we are not going to be a part of a physical no-fly zone, if we are not going to get involved to the point where we send American pilots into a no-fly zone to make sure that Russian aircraft are not bombing targets in Ukraine, Ukraine, which would could mean us engaging those airplanes and and getting into a a fight with Russian aircraft or being shot at from Russian anti aircraft missiles. If we aren't going to be a part of that or organize that or be in that, why would we not give them the MiG fighters from Poland? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm not even I I mean, I can't even criticize if we don't know what the reasoning is. But it it was a big surprise to me that we did not address either one of those things. When I say we, our president didn't address either one of those things this morning when that was the specific purpose of not only today's message to the United States Congress, but yesterday's message to the Canadian Parliament from the president of Ukraine. He is specifically asking for a no fly zone. He used the example of Pearl Harbor and 9-11 and air attacks against the U.S. Obviously, two completely different attacks. One military and one was at civilians using civilian airliners. But the point was well taken that we know we have felt what happens when you're attacked from the air and he's asking for a clean airspace. So I'm not advocating for it. I'm not any of those things. But I do think it's odd that uh, the president of the United States went into great detail about what we are doing, but he didn't address those issues. And I don't know if that's a source of frustration to the Ukrainian president after he made that specific offer. I'm sure he has conversations going on with the White House, but the American people and the rest of the world, for that matter, are kind of in the dark as to what the reasoning is behind it. If you're going to give them the capability to shoot down aircraft and to, to destroy armored vehicles, tanks and otherwise, why is it a too much of a leap to give them aircraft of their own so they can fight from the air? And I have no clue what the answer to that question is. But moving forward, the president talking about the restrictions against the people of Russia, against their government and against their economy. Um, we also have to understand that there are a lot of people in the nation of Russia that are protesting this war in spite of the fact that some of them are being imprisoned and even killed. And when that happens, when we do what we are doing, it is going to impact their lives and it is going to impact them severely. Vladimir Putin and the oligarchs are not going to miss a meal. They they may be, you know, they're angry. The oligarchs are angry because some of their wealth is being captured. And we're talking about boats and airplanes and uh, condos and homes in other countries, some of their assets and some of their money being seized. We are seeing that happen. But that's a far cry from what the average Russian Russian citizen is going to suffer when their economy crumbles, when they have no jobs. We're not shipping them automobiles. Um, restaurants that they work in and eat in are gone. They're pulling out Coca-Cola, Pepsi, KFC, McDonald's, uh, uh, Apple has pulled out. So we are seeing that there are businesses where they used to work that are no longer working. And when you see those people pulling out, it's going to have an adverse effect immediately. So not only is their money worthless, 
but they're not earning anything because they're not working. We are hoping that this turns the tides where the Russian people and the Russian military and people that are higher up in their government turn their backs on Putin. But we don't know that that's going to happen. We have reports of Russian troops realizing when they got into Ukraine that they were in a war. We were hearing reports that some of them have been hearing that they were going on a training mission, that they would be welcomed by the Ukrainian people, only to find out that they are shelling civilians and they are shelling people. The the relationship between Ukrainian people and Russian people is not just a friendship. You know, we have a great friendship with Canada, but their families There is so much of a blood connection between the two countries. A lot of these Russian soldiers are sabotaging their own vehicles and surrendering. It's a long way from over, and the Ukrainian people have a lot of pain to live through. But how will this end for the world as we all watch and pray that there's not a World War III? Coming up in a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest headlines of the day. We call it, did you hear this? I'm going to do that coming up. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, busy, busy, busy news day. Let's get you caught up. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Well, uh, Russia just put several members of the uh, Biden administration, including the president, on a stop list to prevent them from entering the country. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about that yesterday and said this. I would first note that President Biden is a junior, so uh, they may may have sanctioned his dad. May he rest in peace. Can you think of why she brought uh, the president's dad into this? I think she was trying to be funny, and she isn't. And, and so I feel I feel bad for people that think they're funny or try to be that are not, or people that try to sing. That's why I don't go to karaoke. I don't get embarrassed for myself, but I got to sit there and listen to the people at karaoke, and I get embarrassed for them. So don't sing if you can't, and don't try to be funny if you're not. And she's not, so she should just not try to do that. <laughs> Well, uh, earlier today, we had a Republican candidate for Arizona's U.S. Senate seat on the show. U.S. businessman Blake Masters about some of the issues that are most important to him. He started with the border, but also hit on areas we don't really hear about all that much from candidates. What about big tech? What about banks and banking infrastructure being weaponized against conservatives? What about the politicization of the DOJ and the FBI? I'm out front speaking on these issues, which I think are just as big a threat to American security, to Arizonans. And uh, I don't hear my competitors doing that. Will issues like that separate him from the others in the Republican primary? I got to tell you, it might. Uh, you know, that it is a big concern to me. We've talked about it on this show very, very often. You know, what happened in Canada, and he brought that up as a, as a comparison, that in Canada they were seizing bank accounts of protesters and weaponizing the banking system. And, and are we concerned about that here? I'm concerned about a lot of those things and trying to shut down speech in the name of either transparency or fact-checking. And I think it's a unique point, and he does have a unique perspective. It does set him apart in ways from what other people are saying. Now, whether or not it gets him over the hump in the primary, I don't know. But I got to tell you, it was a fascinating angle, and I, 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 had, I had a great conversation with him. 
You're listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the headlines. All right. Inflation, supply chain issues, soaring gas prices are pummeling bank accounts everywhere. And today the Federal Reserve is expected to, if they haven't already, a uh, the first interest rate hike since 2018. Valley economist Jim Rounds was asked if we are barreling toward a recession. Right now I feel like we're still a couple of years away from a recession. You can never really predict it with certainty, but look for the dominoes to fall. And so the Russia issue is real. Do you think we're two years away, or could it hit a lot sooner? Well, I go with. I, I will always defer to an economist. I think the the American economy is going very, very well. And speaking selfishly only about Arizona, we are seeing immense growth here in the Valley of the Sun. We are seeing industry come here, and we have really diversified our economy. So I think we are further away or in better shape than many other places. But I guess it could happen faster in some places where people are leaving. We are growing, and as long as that continues, I think our economy is going to stay on a good path. The inflation is leaving people behind. That's my bigger concern, is how many people will be left behind in this economy because they can't keep up with price increases. New York City's vaccine mandate has kept star uh, or Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving out of home games all season long, but he can still sit courtside at the games. Now, Irving's superstar teammate Kevin Durant says it's time for New York City Mayor Eric Adams to uh, get his act together. It just feels like at this point now, somebody's trying to make a statement or a point to flex their authority. Everybody out here is looking for attention, and that's what I feel like the mayor wants right now, some attention. Um, but it just didn't make any sense. Like, there's unvaxxed people in this building already. We got a guy who uh, can come into the building. I guess, are they fearing our safety? Like, I don't get it. Should Kevin Durant run for office? <laughs> and uh, do you think that, that vaccine mandate will uh, be rescinded it's soon? It's got to be rescinded soon. They are now talking about Mets players and Yankee players in baseball season not being able to play at home games. So this is becoming abs- absurd. And when you when you watch this, the people of New York are much like Americans everywhere else. We are seeing such a diminishing of what's happening with COVID-19 as far as hospitalizations and deaths go. There are many people at the CDC saying that this is going to become seasonal. No one's saying it's over, but the idea of not allowing people to make a living. This is why a right-to-work state like Arizona is an amazing place. And this is really infuriating that they're able to do this. And it's got to end soon because I think politically it's going to wreck some careers. All right, that is Did You Hear This? We will do it again tomorrow on the show at 1120. Um, Yeah, we talked about COVID. The new numbers in Arizona are great in the sense that we have dramatically reduced the number of people in hospital beds and ICU beds. We have uh, 8% of hospital beds being taken up by COVID patients, 10% of ICU beds. We are still seeing a high rate over the week. 457 people um, have died of COVID this week. Um, in the, the every Wednesday now, the Arizona Department of Health Services updates the website, but we are seeing a dramatic drop. I, I want you to think about this number. There were 1,360 cases of people under the age of 20 this week, new cases. There's been one hospitalization of somebody under 20 and one death. One. Those numbers are dramatically lower than where they were before. As far as where we're seeing the increases still or high numbers, there were 191 people hospitalized over the age of 65 and 364 deaths. So 79% of the deaths recorded this week are people over the age of 65. Those are the numbers we should be looking at. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to talk about the economy. We are seeing good things here in Arizona. Oil prices have come down from their peak by about 25%. When does that translate into lower fuel prices? We'll talk about that next.
own values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. You know, uh, uh, pointing out the obvious is what we do quite a bit. But I want to, before I get to this segment, let me say this. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, if you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, it's very simple to do. And uh, you won't miss a minute of the show again. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. It's brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. You can. You can uh, get the most money selling your house for cash by going to highestprice.com. It's highestprice.com. All right, let me get into um, the obvious, which is we are seeing extremely high gas prices. People are being priced out of things. We had Kristen Bentz on yesterday, and Kristen's been a frequent guest on my show because she is she is able to predict things like many people can't. She's been a retail analyst for years, and that's the world she lives in. So when it was the supply chain issue, she's the one that warned me about this weeks before we were even talking about it in America. She saw this coming because that's what she does is, you know, what is affecting the retail world. So I brought her on to talk about what's happening in the world of retail. And she said, we are already seeing people having to change the way they do things and the way they buy things. And today the report comes out that the retail world has slowed down. Because people are spending so much of their discretionary income on fuel and on their mortgage or their rent. And so when you are having to reduce your discretionary income, so I've talked about this in the form of taxation, and there was a question asked of the administration about this, is that when you're taxed as, let's say, a wealthy person, when you're taxed, it's your discretionary income that's being taken away. And so let's go with the business world for a moment. When a small business is taxed at a higher rate, when you are taking more of their profits, they have less money to invest and to give raises and bonuses and benefit packages and things of that nature. It's very simple for government bodies to offer a really good pension plan, 401k, whatever you want to call it, and a good benefit package. Lots of days off, um, a health care plan, because it's not their money. They don't have a bottom line, really, that they are a slave to. So when the government takes your Employer, if you're an employee, or if you're the employer, back me up on this. When the government takes more of your bottom line, more of your profit, you have less money to invest in your company in the form of a 401k or, a, or an insurance plan for your employees. So it's awfully nice that the government can do it because they're taking the business world's money to do it. What if the government was running so narrowly and so uh, they were so slim that they couldn't afford benefit packages like they have for their employees, but they weren't taking as much from the taxpayers and the businesses could. This is where the political differences of opinion come in. They come in because people on one side of the political aisle trust the government more than they trust small businesses. That if you give the money back to the business owners, they're not going to invest it in their business. They've proven it wrong time and time and time again, but that is still the belief. Government sets the example with these great benefit plans, and they're doing it again at a time when it's really hard to hire people. They want to raise the minimum wage for government jobs. Being in construction, and many of you out there can back me up on this, being in construction, you know that when you bid a government job, you have to pay prevailing wage, which means you have a minimum you have to pay everybody on that job site. And the government knows they are going to pay much more for that building than they would if it was run by the private sector. And that's their example that they set. 
They don't have a problem doing it because they're writing checks with taxpayer dollars. So they use upgraded equipment, they use upgraded materials, and they force businesses to pay people more. They're trying to raise that prevailing wage minimum right now. Well, you're going to have people flocking to government jobs. So instead of the private sector having the employees, they're going to be government employees. You can't blame people for going where the higher wages are. So that's part of the issue. The other part of this is where you're seeing the slowing of spending is that people are trapped. You've got to buy your children's clothes. You have to feed your family. You have to have fuel to heat your home and cool your home. And you have to be able to get to work. And when people can't do that. Then you see them go underwater. Then they slip through the cracks. But what's happening now is so many families are having to sacrifice their discretionary income, their leisure income. They're not going out as much. They're not buying extra things as much. They're not saying yes to their kids doing the things that are valuable but not necessary. Lessons and Little League and things of that nature. So more and more people are having to rein in that spending in order to survive. That is the tax of inflation. So you can talk about a tax on the rich and they can afford it and they can do this and they can do that. Now you've got a tax on the working class in the form of inflation. And this is where all of us and it should never be this issue of of Republican Democrat. And and I'll be honest, I, I know where I stand. You know where I stand when it comes to politics. I get sick of talking about politics. I really do. If you look at the issue and you make decisions based on what's best, if you look at the the stereotypes, the Democratic Party stands for the working class, the working class, the middle class. They're being fought for by the Democrats and the Republicans are the rich and the white and the old. That's the stereotype. You look at what's happened to this economy and who is being damaged the most. Non-white, working class, less of an education. The working people are being hammered. They're working twice as hard and their money isn't going as far as it did a few years ago. And all we have been hearing is it's someone else's fault. Um, The president of the United States said before he was elected, That if he makes a mistake, he was going to own it, that he wasn't going to pass the buck. And so far, what we've heard in his first year plus in office is that COVID-19 caused the supply chain issue that caused the inflation. So that's the problem there. And then once Russia happened, now everything is Russia's fault. They are calling this the Putin price increase and all. And it's a narrative throughout their party. And it's just not true. We were paying dramatically higher gas prices long before the Russian crisis became a Russian crisis for this country. It's a war for the people of Ukraine. For us, it's an economic crisis. And this was happening long before that crisis. And instead of looking at the whys, and I think the American people are really starting to look at why. And we're realizing, you know, when you have an assault on the fossil fuel industry, you know, the other part of this that is going to happen, I believe, is if you have a retirement account through your business or any retirement account, if you have a 401k or an IRA, if you have a retirement account, you are probably invested in the oil companies. 
So if you damage the profitability of oil, it's going to hurt your 401k. They're going to no more subsidies, no more drilling. The Democrats now, not six weeks ago, not six months ago, not a year ago, right now, in the midst of everything else that's going on in America, have a push. They want the White House to declare a environmental emergency, a climate emergency, and then outlaw drilling on all federal land. And then they want to stand up in front of the American people and say, we're not stopping anybody from drilling. We're not doing anything to the fossil fuel industry. They can do what they need to do to pump more oil. And it's just not true. So you're paying $5 a gallon for gas. It hasn't come down yet. Price of oil's down below 97 bucks a barrel. At least it was. We'll find out more about where it's going to end. You're paying much more for fuel than you ever have before. We are setting records across the country in average fuel prices across the country and in places all over the country, record gas prices that I know of everywhere. And they are doing more and more and more to shut down the fossil fuel industry. If that's not being tone deaf to the needs of the working class in America, I don't know what is. And I think there is going to be a rebellion of the working class. I think the working class is going to turn their backs on what's happening. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of more things about this that are that were brought to my attention and the absurdity of what we've heard from Pete Buttigieg and what you've heard from the energy secretary. So we're going to talk about that absurdity. We're going to do that coming up here in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. want to remind you that the weather is getting warmer, so KTAR and Fulton Homes is reminding people that two seconds is too long to take your eyes off your kids around water. For life-saving water safety tips and to enter to win swim lessons from the YMCA, just text the word SWIM to 620-620. Be a great idea. Um, I wanted to talk just for a few minutes before we close this out about some of the other angles of what's happening with fuel prices and what is happening to families and some of the ideas that are being thrown around. The Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, said having an electric car is ideal. So did the Energy Secretary, Granholm, said the same thing. If you had an electric car, you wouldn't have to worry about gas prices. Pete Buttigieg also said, we have got a program now where we are we are putting a grid of charging stations across this country so people in rural areas and urban and, and uh, suburban areas can charge their vehicles. I want you to think about where you live. I know where I live. I live in kind of the Arcadia light area of town. And if you drive anywhere in Arcadia right now, there are cranes everywhere. So how many charging stations are you going to have at the resorts that are here in the valley? Who pays for the installation? Not just the installation of the charging stations, but do you have any idea what the upgrade to the electrical uh, you know, capabilities of that building is if you've got all of the cars in the parking lot or a majority of them or some of them charging? That is a huge strain on the electrical grid. So you're going to have to upgrade everything in town. There's a resort being built at 44th Street and Camelback. If you go up 32nd Street, if you're driving south on 32nd Street and you go from Camelback Road down to Thomas, there are apartment complexes going in everywhere. There are new multifamily uh, uh, 
uh, apartment complexes being built on 44th Street. At 44th and Oak, one just opened up. 44th Street, just north of McDowell, there is another housing community that just been built. Who in the world is going to put charging stations in an apartment complexes? I mean, I want you to think you charge your car when you're not working. You're going to have to have, if you're mandating this, and who lives in apartments? The working class. Right now, it's about seventy-five dollars to $80,000 for, for, for an electric vehicle. How many years down the road is this plan? And people right now are hurting. So we're listening to these plans from an administration that claims like they claims they are fighting for the working class. We're going to bring back the middle class. We're going to bolster the middle class. I just got a text message from a friend that said they got a raise of about nine grand. By the time it's all said and done, it's going to eat up all of it. You got kids. You got to clothe them. You got to feed them. Everything's more expensive. You got to drive to the job sites. You got to drive to work. What are we doing to offset those costs now? So now they're talking about fuel vouchers. So now the government creates the problem. Then they solve the problem by going further in debt and sending out fuel vouchers to some people. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that is one of the things that's out there. Instead of, you know, instead of reducing the number of people that need food stamps, food's going up. You got more people that are going to need food assistance, SNAP food assistance. This is the problem of creating inflation. So either the White House and this administration believes they are not creating the problem, which is terrifying, because then they don't have the ability to do anything to fix it, or they're just having a let them eat cake attitude, and they're going to go on with their agenda, and it's going to cost people. I want clean air. I want clean water, just like everybody else does. I don't want to destroy this planet. I don't litter. I recycle. I do a lot of things that we we are asked to do to keep our environment as clean as we can. The agenda for climate change is an anti-industrial platform, in my opinion, as it's known. And there is a happy medium in when you what you believe. And when I look at this, they are trying. They are anti-industrialists. And the attitude of people that want to demonize fossil fuel industries and say that America isn't the one that's best capable of of pulling it out of the ground, refining it and shipping it are wrong. And as long as people need fossil fuels, as long as there is still a need in the world for it, there is not a country on the planet that is better equipped to deliver it than we are. And yet we've given over the responsibility to nations that hate us. And that's why we are where we are. Simple. Not easy to fix, but simple to diagnose. And it's time we started saying as people that we demand, and I would say even from people, especially people on the opposite side of the aisle from me, they expect me to dislike the things they do. But when it's affecting you in the way that it is, it's time for you to start speaking out and telling them that they've got to change some of their policies or else this is never going to get fixed. Social media users, I am at Broomhead KTAR on Twitter. At Broomhead Show updates you on guests and events on the show. So follow both of those. And if you're an Instagram user, I am Mike Broomhead, all one word. Would love to keep in touch when we're off the air. Back tomorrow morning, beginning about 8 a.m. Until then, have a great day. God bless.